right. Well, I am with you guys one more week today, and then you'll get Pastor Mark back. Um, but somebody was happy. Yes. Look at that. <laughs> I, no comment on that one. <laughs> but, um, all right, so to start off this week, I have a random, random story. But I promise it'll make sense at the end. I promise. Okay, but, so in high school, one of my favorite places to eat was Moe's. All right? Uh, it's this taco burrito place that's set up kind of like Subway. So you walk in, you choose what you want, and then you go through the line and tell them what you want on it. Okay? And I love this place. I love that when you walked in, they always yelled, welcome to Moe's. And like every single time you walk in, it made you feel great. Um, so, and I loved all the different things you could put, get, and it was just the best food to me, right? And at that point in time, my favorite place to eat was Taco Bell, which it still is. Um, and Moe's felt like a fancier, like grown-up version of Taco Bell, all right? And it was expensive for a high schooler, so I didn't get to go that much. But when I did, it was awesome. It was amazing. And I would go with my friends, and it was fun, and it was just perfect. I loved it, right? And it was awesome until... I went to a place called Salsaritas, all right? Now, Salsaritas is basically the exact same thing as Moe's. It's a Mexican subway where you walk in, pick what you want, go through the line, tell them what you want on it. So hearing that, you wouldn't think that there was any big difference, no big deal. But, boy, was this place better, okay? Uh, the food just tastes levels above Moe's. The meat had more flavor, the queso, the cheese dip was better, um, they had better toppings, and they have this lime vinaigrette that just made everything taste great, all right? This place and the topping was, it was always way more cleaner, right? It was, it just looked nicer, all right? And they didn't yell a greeting every time you walked in, but that was okay. I still loved it, and I still do. Honestly, I, it's my, one of my top five places to eat. I love this place. Um, but now, like, I really can't stand Moe's. I really can't. I don't want to eat there. I don't want to go there ever again. And when I think about it and I compare them, Salsaritas just comes out way better in every aspect. So no offense to anybody who likes Moe's. We're all entitled to our own opinions. But if you like Moe's better, you're wrong. It's okay. All right? But now, so obviously, why do I bring all this up? Of course. So this idea is exactly what we talked about last week. Oh, hold on. Let me turn this on. There we go. Okay. All right. So the reason I bring this up is because this is exactly like what we talked about last week in the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So I liked Moe's a lot until Salsaritas came along, and now it is garbage to me, right? It is no good at all. And that's what we were saying about the old and new covenants that God created with his people. Paul said once one, uh, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. He was saying the new covenant brings so much glory that basically the old covenant has no glory at all anymore. So it's that same idea, right? The people of the Old Testament lived under the old covenant, and they were able to glimpse the glory of God through it. It was still glorious, but it was external. It told them what to do. It gave them this list of things that they had to do to live up to God's holy standard. And because of that, because it held them to God's holy standard, it condemned them. Nobody can live up to the law. We're not sufficient in ourselves to do that. But through the new covenant, 
the sacrifice of Christ that is declared and comes and declares us righteous before God, we're able to have the law written on our hearts. It's now internal. It changes our hearts. It changes our minds. And Paul said that this glory, this new glory, was permanent. What Christ has brought and made possible and extended to us, remember, will never be superseded, supplemented, or surpassed. Nothing we can do will make it better. We established all that last week in the first part of chapter 3. So we're going to be reading the second part of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But before we move there, I want to give us a little bit of historical context about Moses. Because uh, Paul is going to reference some of the story of Moses, right? So just so you know, it's in chapters 33 and 34. Um, But Moses was the patriarch of the Israelites. He had led them for many years through many things. He led them through the plague, plagues, plagues, plagues. We'll say plagues. The plagues and he parted the Red Sea and there was the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And so he had done all this stuff. But the part of his story that we need to be familiar with for what we're going to read is uh, from when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments or the law. And we need to know the part right before he did that and the part right after he did that. So right before he received the Ten Commandments, Moses asked God to see his glory. That's in chapter 33. God granted his request to do this. So he had Moses hide in a crevice in a rock, and he covered Moses with his hand. And he had to do this because otherwise he would have died. That's how glorious the presence of God is. God said in chapter 33, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So once he was covered, the Bible says that God passed by and he removed his hand. And so Moses only saw the backside of God. Okay, and so then he went on to receive the, uh, the law and the two tablets. So then after that, he went back down the mountain. And we mentioned this part of the story last week. But because Moses had behold the glory of God, his physical face was literally shining. And it scared the people. So he put a veil over his face. And the Bible says from that point on, Moses would remove the veil when he went into the tent of meeting to talk with God. And then he would come out, his face would shine, and he would go tell the people what God had said. And they would see the evidence that he was with God, that his face was literally shining, right? And then afterwards, he would put the veil back on again. And so that's going to be really important to what we're going to read in 2 Corinthians. So, um, oh man, I always forget to do this. Uh, So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Does somebody have that page number by chance? I apologize. 1227. If you need it in the red uh, Bible in the pew, it's 1227. Thank you. So um, let's read that. So starting in verse 12, Paul says, since we have such a hope, uh, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here, let's pray real quick. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have to just 
come and look in your word and try to get what we can from it, God. I pray that we would keep this in our hearts, that it would affect us, that it would um, guide us to lead our lives for you, and that this morning we would just take everything we can from it. And we just love you so much. Amen. All right. So, again, we are going to just kind of look at it verse by verse. And so first, we'll look at uh, the verses 12 and 13. So remember that said, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So the first thing we have to do is address that word such. So it it says at the beginning, since we have such a hope, we start off saying that. And that means that something is being referenced from what was said immediately before. And last week, we left off in verse 11, and we saw that the new covenant uh, that Jesus gives access is permanent. And it has so much glory than the old covenant. So because of that idea, that it's permanent and it's so much more, that is why we have a hope. A hope that what Christ offers fully saves us. Christ's forgiveness doesn't need our help and there's nothing we can do to make it better. That's the hope that we're referring to here. And because of that hope, we can be bold. We don't have to be scared of the law. We don't have to cower from the law or from the glory that Christ extends. Not like Moses and how the Israelites were. Moses was scared, and he should have been scared, because God said, you can't see my face and live. So he was hidden behind a crevice in the rock. And then the Israelites were scared when Moses came down, because his face was shining, and they didn't know what was going on. We don't have to be like that. Moses had to cover up his face to stop his people from being afraid, and he used that veil to cover up the full glory, right? But we have this new covenant, This new promise from Jesus that if we trust in him and accept him as Lord over our lives, we can be freely forgiven. If we truly believe that Jesus lived that life, that perfect life, and that his death was enough to take on the full wrath of God, then we don't have to cower. We can chase. We don't have to cower from that glory. We don't need to be afraid of it. When we see the law, the perfect standard of God, if we didn't have that sacrifice from Jesus, then we would need to cower, just like Moses and the Israelites did. But since we do have that sacrifice that Jesus made, we can be bold. We can chase after that life that God wants us to lead without the fear of death, without the fear of that punishment, and without the fear of the wrath of God. And one person put it this way. He said, the old covenant, the law, was external and outside of us, and it says do. The new covenant, Christ promises, internal, inside of us, and it says done. And so we can have the courage, we can have that confidence, that proclamation of the gospel without reluctance and without wavering. We don't have to be scared because we know that in the end we're still forgiven and Christ died for us. And so moving forward, we look at verses 14 and 15. It says, But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So their minds were hardened. And Paul is referring to the Israelites who were under the law right here. This word hardened implies an idea of stubbornness and ignorance. The people were ignorant to what God was bringing forth. They didn't understand what the law was for. We saw last week that the law was established to push us to the need that we have for a Savior. The people of Israel their minds were hardened to that fact. Paul says that even now when the old covenant is read, that veil stays unlifted. 
the veil, as Paul keeps referring to, is becoming this idea of something that is covering or hiding the full glory of God. So that veil means glory's God is, or sorry, God's glory is being covered. So even now, when people regard the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the veil is still unlifted. Minds are hardened. They don't, need, they don't see their need for a Savior. They see a lot of other things. They see old stories, a reason to run away, a list of do's and don'ts, and they remain in the dark. Their eyes are veiled to the truth that the law is pointing us to that need for a Savior. But what Paul says next is very important. He says, only through Christ is it taken away. Only through Christ are our eyes opened to the glory of God. And when Christ opens our eyes through the Holy Spirit, we see that need that we have. We see that we can't stand up to that holy standard. We need somebody to do it for us. And we realize we can't do it on our own. We're not good enough to follow the law. We realize that we're poor in spirit, that we don't, that we don't have enough good in us for it to be sufficient. That, that's from the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit, where we have that idea, I just, I'm not enough. I'm poor in my spirit. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. Christ removes that veil. And verse 15, Paul is reinforcing that idea. He says, yes, even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And that point is important for two reasons. So there's the immediate context of who Paul is directly talking to, right? He's talking to the church of Corinth at that time. So remember, we said last week there were false teachers that were preaching that idea that followers followers of Christ also had to follow the law. They had to follow the ceremonial rules and the litigation and the circumcision, all that stuff. And so Paul is addressing that idea to his readers, and he's saying, hey, those of you who are are still reading and trying to conform to the law, you guys still have veiled eyes. You are not understanding what Christ came here for. But that idea also has a secondary point, a secondary implication that we can learn from as well. And just a few verses, uh, a few verses later, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, this is what Paul says. He says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He blinded them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And this applies to people now. There are people in our lives who are still blinded. When they hear about the Bible and they hear about God, their eyes are still veiled. They still have a covering. They still see the law of Moses. That veil is still there over their eyes, just like we saw in verse 15. All they see in the law is something that repels them. They're not pulled to it. But hearing the gospel, hearing that Christ was crucified for them, that Christ can unveil their eyes and they can see the full glory of God, that can still happen today. And then in verse 16, Paul says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. For this verse, I want to bring our attention back to the story of Moses that we mentioned at the beginning. Near the end of this story, Moses was seeing what happens uh, when he goes into the tent of meeting. So in Exodus 34, 34, it says, Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove his veil until he came out. And so when he went into the tent of meeting, there was no need for a veil at that moment. One, because the veil was only there to stop other people from being afraid. He didn't need it for that. And then two, we know that Moses wanted to behold the glory of God. And we know this because he's the one who asked to see the glory of God right before the Ten Commandments. So when Moses went into the tent of meeting, 
the veil was removed. He took it off. And Paul is giving instruction on how that happens for us as well. He says, when we turn to the Lord, then our veil can be removed. And that means that we will be able to see and behold the glory of God. And why do we need to turn to the Lord for this? Well, he said earlier in verse 14 that only through Christ is it taken away. This is necessary because on our own without Christ, we don't have access to the uh, tent of meeting. And we don't have access to converse with God. We just aren't good enough for that. We need to turn to Christ because we cannot fulfill the law. We need someone else to make it possible. And so through Christ and his sacrifice, we're able to turn to the Lord. We're able to look at God and remove the veil from our hearts and our minds. Right? And then verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This verse is so short, but man, does it just have a lot of stuff that comes from it. All right? The, the first thing is that it's important to our idea of who God is, and that the Lord is the spirit, that first part. This is a verse that supports the idea of the Trinity. So it's probably not something that we really question or think about day to day, but the idea of the Trinity is important to how we think about God. That word Trinity, that's not in the Bible. Over 2,000 years, we have been using that word to capture one of the big pictures we get from the Bible. And that idea of three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Trinity means that there's one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. And this is one of those ideas that we could take weeks and weeks to look at and review, but I just think it's important to see here that this verse supports that idea. It's one of those verses we can learn that supports the idea of the Trinity. So that's one thing. But what follows that part of the verse, um, that part can be quoted a lot, and it's really used in ways that it's not intended. So that second part is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And this will be uh, quoted to support the idea that the Spirit of the Lord can free us from shame and guilt and addictions and depression and all kinds of things. And listen, those promises are true. God does free us from guilt and shame, and he can free us from addiction and depression. And I fully believe that, and I know those promises are true. They are in the Bible. But this verse is not referring to those ideas. And we need to keep the verse in the context of what it's being used for. And this is one of those issues that I feel really, really strongly about because it's so easy to believe the right things but for the wrong reasons, right? I always want to make sure that I or anyone around me, we're understanding the promises of God in the way that he intended them. And so Paul hasn't been talking about freedom from guilt and addictions in this passage. Right here, he's referring to a specific type of freedom. So to understand what type of freedom or liberty, as some versions of the Bible uh, use, that Paul is referring to, I think we can look back at what he's been talking about. If we get freedom from the presence of the Lord, then that automatically means that we're in some type of bondage or prison, right? So if we need freedom, then we are bound in some type of way. So in some of the verses that we looked at last, uh, right before this, we get clues to the answer of that. So in chapter 3, Right before this, in verse 6, we can see that Paul says, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And in verse 9, we see Paul called the Old Covenant the ministry of condemnation. The bondage that Paul is talking about, that we are bound to, is the bondage of sin and death. We are bound to death because we are not able to live up to that holy standard. 
So that answers our questions. We get our freedom, the freedom that is being talked about is from death and sin. We get freedom from the veil. That ignorance or hardening of our heart stops us from seeing our need for a savior. And we get freedom from the veil that's covering our hearts and minds. That freedom that Paul is referring to is salvation. And isn't that the greatest type of freedom we could ever seek? The greatest type of freedom we could ever ask for no matter what's going on in the world and what's going on in our lives, the greatest possible blessing that we can receive is the salvation that Christ offers. And so what does that type of freedom look like? When we trust in Jesus and his sacrifice, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us, in our, in our hearts, and we become the new tent of meeting. We become the new temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 16, uh, Paul says this to his uh, listeners. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We are the new tent of meeting. We are free from the veil that holds us back from God's glory. We have unlimited access to God through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And part of that glory that God is, is his holy scripture. We're able to look through with opened, unveiled eyes to see God's scripture and his purpose and his big picture. We're able to look at the whole thing and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is what Paul says to his listeners again. He says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting uh, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So, all of that to say, without the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to understand all the things that are freely given us, to us by God. We need His Spirit to understand His mind and His Scripture. And this reminds me of a story of two men that were traveling on the road to Emmaus. A story that... Um, I think the last time I used it was Christmas. We were talking to the children, and we were talking about right after the crucifixion. In Luke 24, the story is recounted where two disciples were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they were talking about everything that happened in the days leading up to and after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, when suddenly a man showed up to them, and he started talking. And they didn't know it, but that man was Jesus. And after hearing them exclaim everything that, they, that had happened in the last few days, Luke 24, 27 tells us this. Oh, I'll read it. I'm not sure if it's up there. But this is what it says in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And this just shows us that we need Christ to fully understand the glory of God, his plan all through history and all throughout the Bible. All of this all of this is freedom from the veil, freedom from death and sin. Through the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I think this relates to how Paul said that we can be bold. Since we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we have that capability. We can live our lives focused on Christ without the fear of messing up because we know we'll mess up. We can't be perfect. We can live without the fear of punishment because God's wrath has been fully satisfied. And we're free from that bondage. When we sin, we know we can ask for forgiveness and keep living our lives focused on Christ, trying to get better and better, which Paul is about to talk about. So praise God for that freedom that we have. The last part, uh, the last section, 
verse 18. There it is. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So now here at the end, the end of our passage is the result of everything that came before. And I love that Paul does this. So he, we always get this vague theological ideas about God. And then there's always that practical part, that practical part that affects our lives. So we've established that we can be bold for Christ. And that's because of our security in the new covenant. And we've established that we only have that access because of Christ. He's the only way to remove that veil and see God's full glory. And we have freedom from death and sin. We have freedom from the veil, which allows us to fully behold God in his scripture. And now, after all that, we get our result. The culmination of having that veil taken away, that unveiled face that Paul says here in verse 18, is being transformed into the same image of that glory. And this verse has so much to it. First, the first thing that I see is it says, we all with unveiled face. So that means all. Anyone who has had their face unveiled, anyone who has turned towards Christ, not just pastors, not just deacons, not elders, or people whose lives are up in front of everybody else, anyone whose eyes have been opened to the fact that they need a Savior and they've accepted that gift from Christ, anyone who has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, we are all beholding the glory of the Lord. We are all able to see Christ and be changed. And I think that's important because a lot of times we see all these people, we see Facebook and social media, and we see we have the, this vision of what following Christ should look like. And we see that we are not doing that. But that is not what the Bible says. It says we all with unveiled face. Anyone who is a follower of Christ has this. So under the old covenant, Moses was able to behold God and be changed. But his change was external. His face was literally shining, right? And it faded. It wasn't permanent. Under the new covenant, we're able to behold God and be changed. But our change is internal. It changes our hearts, and this change is permanent. And I love what Paul says here. He says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this means we are being made more and more into the image of Christ. This is that idea of sanctification, that as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we become more and more like him. The more we behold him, the more we abide in him, we will be transformed. And this automatically think, made me think of one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it's the only other time that Paul uses that word transform. So if you recognize that word, you know where I'm going. In Romans uh, 12, 2, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That means over and over again, we renew our minds, behold the glory of God, and be changed. And we are changed from one degree of glory to another. And as we're transformed, we're able to discern what is the will of God. And as we become more like Christ, we can know more and more about what the will of God is. And one thing I want us all to notice in verse 18 is Paul says we are being transformed. That means it's going to happen. If we are Christ followers and we are committing our lives to him, if we are turning toward him so that the veil is taken away, we will be transformed. And there's comfort in that. We don't have to wonder and doubt and question whether we are growing or going to grow with Christ more and more. 
Paul says we are being transformed. It's a fact. It's a cause and effect that we can't do anything about. Anyone with unveiled eyes will be transformed. It won't be instantaneous. It won't all happen overnight. Paul says from one degree to another, of course. That means there's a gradual change, step by step as we move through life. And I think this part really gets some of us unhappy, honestly. We don't like that this is something that happens gradually. We get upset with ourselves because we keep messing up, that we keep sinning. We end up gossiping or we uh, have those angry thoughts or we have those quick reactions. And we don't like that we grow from one degree to another. We want it to happen now. I just want to be better. I don't want to go through life and have to deal with all this. I just want to be better, right? But that's not the way it works. If we keep living our lives for Christ, then it will happen. We will get there. We'll never be perfect. I'll never be perfect. Even Pastor Mark will never be perfect, right? But as we go along, the scripture here promises us that we will be changed. And that's why I love that verse right there. Where was it? And where was it? Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. I love that. But as we go along, the scripture here promises us that we'll be transformed. And Paul ends this thought by telling us that this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This gradual change, this sanctification comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We have become that new tent of meeting. And much like how Moses' face was changed because he beheld the glory of God, our hearts are changed as we continue to look at God and his word and we commit our lives to him. This is why the new covenant is so much more superior. And this is why we can claim freedom from the veil. And I pray, and as Michelle comes up, I just pray that that would really take over your thoughts this week. I pray that you would understand if you are following a life, if you are following Christ in your life, that you are going to be transformed. It is promised. That veil is taken away. We are not held down by sin and death anymore. We can move forward. We don't have to be scared. Christ's punishment was enough. We can live that way. We can live bold, as Paul says. And so I'll pray for us right now, and I just pray that that hits you and stays with you in your heart this week. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this scripture. Thank you for this word. Um, it just means so much to us, God. We may not think about it every day. We may not think consciously about that sacrifice that you made, but God, we understand that in the new covenant is so much more sufficient. It is so much more, God. And I pray that we would keep that in our minds, that it would affect how we live our life, that we would be bold, that we would be going out and we would chase after you, that we wouldn't cower in fear from you, but that we would chase you and chase our lives to look more and more like you, God. Be with us as we do all this. And God, I pray that everything we do would just glorify you. And we love you so much. Amen.